0: This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined by my co-host, as usual, Brian Solomon. How's it going?
1: Doing pretty good, Al. How are you?
0: I'm good. And joining us this week is our boss, editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Kevin McElvaney. How are you, Kevin?
2: Good. Still here in my makeshift uh, studio slash office. Yes. Pandemic is still happening all this time. Right? <laughs> so, you're, so here I am. Gotta.
0: Yes. Keep and everything. Kevin is joining us because we are going to be discussing the 2021 PWI 500. Uh just came off of uh, Busted Open, uh, uh, the radio show. Good friends uh, over there where we discussed it, and we're going to go a lot more in-depth here uh, mm-hmm. and also feature our interview from the magazine with this year's number one rack wrestler. I guess we go ahead and say who it is, right, Kevin?
2: Yeah, it's out there. You were on Busted Open Radio and you revealed the number one wrestler. is. Thank you for the drum roll, Brian. (laughs) I was wondering what he was doing. (laughs) (laughs) AEW World Champion. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's okay. (laughs) (laughs) AEW World Champion, Kenny Omega.
0: Yes. uh, For the second time, Kenny is the number one ranked wrestler in the PWI 500. He's on the cover of the new issue, which I think should be available now digitally. You go ahead and pre-order your print copy as well at uh, pwi-online.com and uh, after our discussion here you could uh, listen to a portion of uh, actually more than a portion right I mean there's a portion in the uh, the magazine uh, but your interview with Kenny talking about uh, now for the second time being uh, the top-ranked wrestler in the world
2: yeah and you, I mean you know from tugging him previously Al, that Kenny's a talker uh, yes he, he will go on how many questions him. did you get in <laughs> did you get two hours of audio I mean, with one question it's, I think, maybe four or five questions in about a half hour. Um, yeah, it's, but I mean, right. it's great. He, I mean, he gave anything you could possibly want to hear from him. You know, he talks about the 500. He talks about kind of the culture of uh, fans who, who feel like they can only like one wrestling company. Um, he goes in depth about that. He talks a little bit about a certain former tag team partner of his who's not mm-hmm. Adam Page. So I'll just tease that. Go check it out. So at the end of the, uh, this episode. So listen to this and then check it out, I guess.
0: Yes, absolutely. We're also going to be talking a little bit uh, All Out. Um, this first time we're recording since a big show. Yeah. People are talking about it as one of the all-time great pay-per-views. I think a real kind of uh, turning point, uh, not just for AEW, but maybe for the wrestling landscape. So um, we're going to discuss that uh, in a minute. Uh, and we're going to go through the PWI 500. We'll talk about the top 10, some other kind of uh, analysis takes on this year's list. Uh, but first, let's get out of the way. I mean, if you want to get this issue, the thing to do is go to pwi-online.com. I think you also created a pwi500.com, which links directly to the issue. Um, if you want the the print edition, which is absolutely going to be a collector's uh, item, you can go ahead and pre-order it now, or you can download it right away, the digital edition, um, all available. Uh, kind of a, a big overview thoughts, uh, Kevin, I'm putting this is now your second that, that you've put together as as kind of the, the guy in charge, right? And any new challenges? Uh, we shook things up a little bit this year, you know, as you've been doing uh, in your time with the magazine. Uh, so some stuff that, that people have been used to might not be there and you're going to see um, some some new features also.
2: I think one of the uh, challenges was just to continue to cover more of the wrestling world. Um, one fair thing, fair thing that was lobbied against this years ago is like, oh, okay, well, you got the whole WWE roster on there, and you got most of the I don't know, Ring of Honor impact on there, the main New Japan guys, and then what else? You know, we'd have indie wrestlers on there. A lot of other people we overlooked, um, nationally, internationally. So that was, I think, the big challenge, just trying to get better at covering the whole sport. Um, you know, even when, examples, someone who's on the list, Zombie Dragon, who's the champion of middle kingdom wrestling in China and middle kingdom has gotten a mention or two in, uh, Walter Yates' smooth court international report column. Um, but you know, hasn't gotten coverage in our magazine too much, really doesn't get a lot of mention in the U S anyway. Um, you know, obviously we can't cover everything because there's so much wrestling out there, but to, just to try to get better about what's significant, what's making waves, even if it's not necessarily on the radar, and maybe especially if it's not on the radar of our readers yet. To me, that was the biggest challenge
3: this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, if, if you're uh, getting everybody in WWE on the list, and everybody in AW and, and the other kind of big companies, you quickly eat up a lot of that 500. Pretty much the list. The reality, yeah. Yeah. And the reality is a lot of um uh, people who deserve to be on this list who have accomplished more, uh, certainly in, in their space, uh, maybe sometimes got slided. And so we're looking to correct that. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a lot of new things we're trying in the PWI 500. Uh, you don't want to miss this issue. Go to pwi-online.com. Pick it up right now. You could be digging through the 500 right now um, and uh, or get it delivered to your mailbox. Uh, absolutely. Also, uh, on completely retooled website, we haven't talked to you since, since uh, the big overhaul. Can you talk oh, a bit yeah. about uh uh, the, the decision and the new look of PWI, uh, PW's uh, website?
2: So the concept predated me. Um, you know, we're a small, our, our writing staff has grown, um, but we don't necessarily have a large in house staff. Part of a, a larger company, I don't think that's really any secret. But we don't have a web designer in house. We had this concept, executing it was another matter entirely. You know, because even if we're not designing it ourselves, we have to be involved in that process every step of the way. Um, as far as I'm concerned, my web design abilities were pretty outdated. So what I did was essentially, and I got some help from one of our uh, graphic designers, Laura, who does our art director for the magazine, does an amazing, amazing job. A couple other people tapped in some help from them, but uh, but once uh, that was done, I mean, just pretty much made the decision like we're gonna try and. Build this website ourselves. Um, you know, I wasn't busy enough. I wasn't working <laughs> enough outside of normal office hours. It was a process. Um, I think it's a lot more functional. It's mobile friendly. You can, you know, previously you could only order an issue by adding it to your PayPal cart. Very outdated system we used to have. Now you can use credit cards, PayPal, Google Pay, Apple Pay. Um, trying to think if there's a lot any other options there, um, but at least those. So a lot easier to check out by in individual issues. We're working on integrating the digital edition more into the website. We're working on integrating subscriptions more into the website so that it's really just kind of this single experience you can go in and uh, you know, enjoy what you want to enjoy. We have a blog that's actually active and on the website. You don't have to hop off and go over to a Blogspot page now. Um, we have some, we're starting to include some uh, where we would include feature stories before Now they're a little more content-rich. They're scans from the magazine, that sort of thing. So it's a work in progress, but feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, there's a lot of features that we don't talk about that much here, but you could go dig through uh, the cover history. You know, you're talking 42 years of PWI, um, uh, awards history, um, and so much more links to the podcast, to our uh, line of T-shirts at ProWrestlingTees.com, all our social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all of it, uh, YouTube. All so your one-stop shop for all things PWI is pwi-online.com. Check it out and pick up the PWI 500 for sure. Uh, so we'll talk about the 500 uh, for sure, but I think all of us were anxious to talk about All Out. I think you guys probably got more of experience than I did. I was away with the family, kind of half paying attention to it in the, in the background on my, my laptop. went back and watched some of it, um, but... Uh, I think absolutely. I mean, I think it goes down as one of those, you know, with WrestleMania 17 and and some of those shows that are sort of iconic, one of the all time uh, great pay-per-view events. And um, uh, I want to talk to you, Brian, about it, but, but first kind of a thought. And, you know, one thing that I've been wanting to talk about is it, it both all out and then watching Monday night raw um, uh, the, I guess it was the next night, right. Um, it really reminded me of, the experience of being a fan in 1996 where WCW, there was that moment where there was a change, right? And growing up a WWF fan in the Northeast, it, you know, Monday Night Raw was kind of like destination viewing and it was major league, big time pro wrestling. And I remember cause it was around 96 where I got cable and watching Nitro, you know, for a few weeks. And then summer comes along Memorial day, NWO and Um, kind of flipping back and forth. And I remember on one channel, you had the NWO and Hulk Hogan and Cruiserweight and Randy Savage and Ric Flair and Sting and uh, Pyro and Big Crowds and Live TV and the Nitro Girls. And then you flip over to Raw and it was, you know, T.L. Hopper and um, Jim Neidhart dressed as, as Who and uh, you know they had Shawn Michaels and they had Bret Hart. I mean, there was no lack of talent, but it was clear that it was that kind of moment where, like, wow, you know, WWF is—they're still the major leagues, but they're not the only major leagues uh, anymore, and they've got to play some catch-up. And to me, that's what this weekend was. You know, both watching all out and that incredible ending with you know Kenny Omega and Christian tearing the house down. He had CM Punk earlier uh, in in the night. Adam Cole debuts, uh, Brian Danielson uh, debuts, and um, then Raw comes on, and you know the the first thing you saw are uh, promos from T-Bar and Mace promoting um, you know this tag team turmoil match, horribly scripted, just boring, dated promos, and and um, later on John Morrison in this awful segment with with Karin Cross dressed like He Man. And just just kind of one bad promo after the other, just another kind of dead, lifeless show. And uh, I, I think for the better part of the last two years, it's been clear to a lot of people that AEW has been the better product. But this felt like, you know, this was kind of like a, a real seismic shift uh, this past weekend. Did you agree with that, Brian?
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned, though, that uh, the last time you kind of remember that in 96, because the ironic thing is at that time, too, it was the same company that was kind of getting spanked and getting sort of embarrassed and and shown up. But in that case, in that time, that became kind of their inspiration to wake up, snap out of it and do something different. And this feels different to me. Like, I don't know why I can't explain it. Everybody always used to say for the past 20 years, Oh, wait until there's competition. Wait until somebody is, is really on their behind. Then things are going to change and Vince is going to like get that killer instinct. And it's it doesn't seem to be happening like like it almost feels like and I, I look, this is not something that I could ever imagine him doing, but it literally feels like they're just like rolling over and dying. You, you know, uh, the, the next thing I read this morning is that um, Kevin Owens apparently has a similar situation with Adam Cole, where his contract is surprisingly coming due because i guess no one really cares to pay attention to when everybody's contract is up and you could kind of almost predict that he's gonna go there like i could feel pretty confident perfect
0: fit over there yeah yeah
1: he would be great there and like he would have been great with the trials of jericho i was half expecting him to come out during that but um but yeah i mean it almost feels like um They don't. This is what happens when you continue to harp on this idea that we're not a wrestling company. This is not wrestling. We are competing with sleep and whatever other dumb things that (laughs) Nick Khan is saying. We're competing. You know, we're competing with every other entertainment entity that's out there. And this is what happens when you do that. You don't realize when you are really on the verge of kind of slipping. And, And yes, WWE is a juggernaut. They're a media powerhouse. And AEW needs to make some really big moves to truly ever overtake them in more than just a product quality sense. But this is how it starts. This is how those things begin, right? This is definitely. It had that feel of a turning point at the end of that show. I'm sitting there going, at the end of All Out, and I literally I said out loud, I said, if I'm Vince McMahon at this point, if I, if I'm not seriously concerned, then there's something wrong with me. I mean, I mean, we always hear that he's he doesn't watch everything, but he has people who talk to him. He has people that tell him what's going on, and if nobody is sitting him down and saying we have a real problem here, uh, then there's a, there's a bigger problem inside that company. And and this is how you wind up losing.
0: But re- remember again, back to 1996, WCW was, was on a roll for a while before I think it was very similar where there was almost this kind of denial, you know, where it's like, Oh, you know, this will pass. This is a temporary kind of phase. And they the, stuck the to, stuff. yeah. Re- remember when, when, um, you know, Kevin Nash is power bombing Eric Bischoff through a table at great American bash and, and Hogan is turning, um, they were still uh, messing around with the ultimate warrior. You know, that was kind of their big answer was the return of the ultimate warrior. And uh, you know, on top it was like Shawn Michaels and, and the British bulldog in a feud about Shawn um, uh, maybe trying to steal uh bulldog's wife. This was, there was not, it was a while before they got Steve Austin up and going and you know, they, they really uh, the, the attitude of, of movement uh, kind of launched. So, and the other thing that happened around the time was that it was, uh, I think a while before WCW clearly started to kind of dominate in the metrics. And I wonder if that's what it's going to take. And I don't think it's going to take that long before we see AEW regularly outdrawing raw and, um, and maybe in, in live arenas as well. You know, WWE is going to be in Madison Square Garden um, this Friday night. And next week, um, AEW is going to be here in Queens at a stadium. Um, And we'll see who gets the bigger crowd. So uh, I I think the time is going to come where they're going to have to respond. I think they think they're responding, um, but I just don't think they, they know how to respond. You know, I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see that Steve Austin or that magic bullet in, in WWE. And also Vince McMahon is now 25 years older than, than he was back in 1996.
1: Right. And there's a big difference here, too, with the WCW comparison. And and I'm not the first to say this, but I really think it's really pertinent. And th- this is what makes it more. Th- I feel more threatening in the long term, because as we all saw, WCW was a threat and then they died out and wound up wound up winning out that that struggle. The difference here is I really do believe this. The thing with WCW was they were luring people away with money. There were a lot of people there that they would have worked wherever the money was. And, that, and that's no, no slight against them. I mean, you know, they have families to support and everything, but it was about that money that, it was money that you can't pass up. And that's why they were going there. In this case, it feels, it's not as much about the money as it, although I'm sure they're being paid well, as it just feels like these are people who really prefer to work in one place rather than the other. They want to go there because of what they feel it could do for their career for their morale for everything it it just feels like a better place to be and i feel like that's how you build more loyalty that's how you get people to stay when it's all about the money you saw what happened with wcw where you know they called eric Bischoff the human atm and like nash and hall and hogan and all those guys they, they were they were kind of working the system you know and when the money ran out They abandoned ship or whatever they did. And this is a different kind of deal. What I mean to say then is I think AEW in the long-term has a better shot than WCW of really kind of permanently taking that top position in the industry at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, WWE, um, they're always so quick to kind of push away that wrestling label and say, we're not pro wrestling. And that's fine. But the reality is that uh, the, the men and women who they're looking to employ, love pro wrestling. This is what they went in for. And now you, for the first time, there is another alternative, right? uh, uh, That is major leagues. And that now has a reputation for loving pro wrestling, for respecting pro wrestling, for respecting pro wrestlers. So if now the money is not that much of an issue because you can make a nice living in in AEW and you're on national TV and you have... um, Maybe again by by the end of the year or into next year, a bigger TV audience uh, on AEW and just generally kind of a. a, a a better life there, quality of life. I mean, it kind of reminds me of sort of like, you know, the the two corporations and, and the one of them is still very buttoned up and you're at your cubicle, you know, Monday through Friday and you need to be in the door by 9 a.m. and and the, and the other one's got the ping pong table in the middle of the room and they've got summer Fridays and people like, you know, going around and, and skateboards, that kind of place. It's like, where would you rather work? Uh, that kind of, and I think that's a big change too, is that the, the people coming up now who always dreamt about working at WrestleMania I think, and and the show like Sunday changes things. Where maybe they dream about working at all out
1: one year, you know? Yeah, and and if you look at um, kind of how it's gone down, it, it just feels like like the comparison you made about the different workplace environments. I've spoken to people who have been in both locker rooms. You know, I've only been in one, and I can tell you, it's, it's not really that fun of a place to be most of the time. But people that have been in both, they do say it's night and day. I mean, uh, that it's really like a genuinely lighthearted and kind of fun atmosphere. Everybody's enjoying themselves. People want to be there. I mean, obviously, they're doing their job. They're not goofing off, but but they're having fun. You know, it's not as much. It doesn't feel like this kind of almost toxic environment that it's not just WWE, that a pro wrestling locker room in general, especially in a major league level can very often be a cutthroat, very political, very kind of dysfunctional. The AEW work environment, it seems to be a lot of fun. Like like they're actually having fun. Believe me, you know, imagine that. And why wouldn't you want to work there, especially if, if you can also make a decent living there? I, I would venture to say, I know the cons have a lot of money, so there's not really an issue there, that there's probably a lot of people that would be willing to take, maybe not like a drastic pay cut, but I think people would even take a slight pay cut to be able to work there because they just prefer to work there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's bring Kevin into the conversation. You watched uh, all out, I mean, or, or uh, is it uh, hyperbole to call it kind of one, of, one of the all time great per views?
2: I'm always hesitant to do that kind of thing um, until it's had a little bit of time to settle um, because I can, Oh, that's one of the best things I've seen in years, but there are times when you really feel, okay, this is a special event that really changed some things, shook things up. And it felt like that. Um, An example I can think of from years ago is WWE's Money in the Bank where CM Punk absconded with the championship. Short-term, did it change a lot? No, but long-term, it really did change things because it made it viable for these like quote-unquote smaller guys, um, traditional like indie style workers, this new style where they were taking things from Japan and England and all these other places uh to do well in wwe and do well in the business. Uh this felt like a transformative moment, especially that main event segment. I mean you talk about debuting Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan within like a minute of each other. That's 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 massive. That's that's a seismic shift in the business. Um you know excuse me it's hot in this room so I have to keep drinking water. And and
0: uh again uh, I don't think it was meant as a slight to WWE but but inevitably it come it <laughs> you know what the message is, is these guys who were top guys in the business chose AEW over WWE. This is the place to be
2: for people who want to wrestle. Um, and I mean, Daniel Bryan said as much, and he loved WWE. He still speaks very highly of Vince mm-hmm. McMahon. Uh, I mean, granted it's been a week, but, um, you know, I don't see program. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to change. He, he really did feel respected. There it was a tough decision for him, but he wanted to go where the wrestling was. Um, He was very literally written off TV and WWE now granted. Was that for his own good in part? I'm sure because he's had all these medical issues through the years. Um, but if he's cleared to wrestle by a doctor and he wants to do it, what better place to do it right now, especially, you know, in the U S, um, AEW has its challenges still, you know, um, it was great that they had two women's matches on the pay-per-view. Uh, that was, that was an improvement there for sure. Um, and I think, you know, with especially with Britt Baker as champion, the women's division is improving. A lot of people pointed out there wasn't a lot of diversity on the card uh, in terms of racial backgrounds. And I mean, it's there were even even age wise, there were a lot of older wrestlers on the card. Um, but top to bottom, as far as like just is what it is. And you look at it purely what what the action was, purely what the storylines were. It's fantastic. One of the best shows I've seen in years for sure. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about what um, was, for a lot of people, the main event, and that was the the return of CM Punk after um, about seven and a half years being out of the ring. Um, I I thought uh, those opening minutes, you could tell, I don't know if it's rust or whatever, but the timing was maybe a little off. He looked a little uh, maybe unsure, a lot of rest holds. Um, You know, I I think a lot of uh, communication uh, in the ring, but yes. it, yeah, a few minutes into it, clearly he kind of got his, his, uh, his legs back. And the, that last, you know, third or so of the match, um, I, I thought he looked great. I thought everything was well executed. I thought it told a good story. Um, uh, I thought, I don't know if it was, um, it exceeded expectations, but it certainly met expectations. And I think everybody could feel good about how that match, uh, was executed. Did you agree, Brian?
1: Yeah, I was wondering at the time why, I mean, I understand now for several reasons why they didn't put it on last, because that seemed like the no brainer to me. But I feel like, you know, it's the combination of well, you've got your Brian and Cole surprises. You can't, you know, you kind of want to close the show that way. And also, I think there probably was a little bit of hesitation of like, well, would if what if it doesn't deliver? What if he and, and, and maybe even co- coming from him as well, you know, like what if he it's not quite up to snuff? Do you really want to put all that pressure on it? And I do think, you know, it felt like uh, in the end, I thought it was great. I, I really do. And I think people that are saying, oh, uh, Darby Allen." Carried him through that and all that, and I, I think that's going way too far. Way too. First of all, I mean, it was obvious that Punk was calling the entire match to just so to say that Darby Allen carried him. You have, you have no idea how a wrestling match even works. I would say, from a physical standpoint, he did seem to kind of, sort of blow up like in the middle. There was a moment where you could see it, where he was kind of literally just sitting there, and and you're going, this is the moment where he's realizing, wow can I actually do this? And he collected himself. And then from that point on the match really did pick up. And in the end, like I said, it really did deliver. I felt bad for Darby in a way for having to be the initial kind of sacrifice to punk because he also is a really, really promising star, but I think he, he did not come out looking bad or looking weak. I, I think that I think it was handled very well. I think having it be face versus face was the way to go. It was a really good idea that, you know, you know, and 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 he's and he's come out strong from it, and 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 Punk is off to the races. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, yeah.
2: You know, like looking at that match too. Just the way it started out, I do think there was maybe not Ring Rust, but like he had to get his bearings straight. Um, and I think that was legitimate. But they built it into the structure of the match. They actually mm-hmm. took that spot from the. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the side by side, but oh, the okay. Bret Hart and One Two Three Kid match, yes. where they do the head, they uh, the lockup into the headlock takeover and then brett went like huh punk did the same exact thing it was a recreation homage to that spot yeah. um which i'm sure was planned but again i think knowing that he's going to go into this match and need to get his momentum going a little bit
1: that was a smart way to start it off yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite matches that one two three kid bret hart match and that's a classic That happened. I I sat there, and especially when Punk did the little head nod thing, because I I must have seen that heart match like a hundred times, you know, when I was back then, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, they're doing Bret Hart and one, two, three, kid. It was a very cool moment. Yes.
0: And and I think it's a good point that you make, Kevin. That sometimes these little imperfections in a match actually help the match because they they tell the the real story of what's happening. And, and I think about Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels um, at at WrestleMania 24 in Orlando, where a lot of spots didn't quite look right, but it helped because the story you we're telling was here is sixty something year old Ric Flair trying to keep up, and uh, mm-hmm. at in in this stage of his career, doing his best to be that Ric Flair of 20 years ago and sometimes can't quite make it. And I thought um, the story of this match was CM Punk has not wrestled in seven and a half years and he's in the ring against um, one of the, the, the best workers of today, uh, a, a young, hungry wrestler who is very active, who was wrestling every week and um, is gonna have to keep up. And, and at some points that showed, and again, yeah, I think, I, you know, if it was all kind of perfectly executed, I don't know, um, in some ways maybe it might have been a better match, but it wouldn't have been as, as honest uh, a match. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, top to bottom, a terrific card that, you know, a lot of people calling the, the cage match, the tag team cage match, one of the greatest uh, cage matches uh, of all time, um, on the short list for match of the year, uh, and so much more. You know, if Chris Jericho beating mjf you know the when you have a, a match and a story as as big as that as kind of like the the fourth or fifth headline of the show it tells you what a loaded show this
2: was yeah and it didn't feel like it was too much um i think in fact um some a couple of people pointed out and i i wish you could credit but i'm forgetting the names on twitter but um the andrade pack match having to be taken off the show for travel reasons or whatever it was um you know the show was already so jam packed. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of gave a chance for the battle royal is a very different kind of match, and that the casino battle Royale went into its spot, and I think that was a good like you have to pace these shows properly. So that was a good way to do that. So I think even if that had been planned, you know, yeah, it was a, yeah. it was this huge show, but uh, just such a great show as as you guys were mentioning, I mean, for wrestling fans, it leaned into being a wrestling show. Um, You know, as far as how this influences WWE going forward, I think WWE is going to lean into some of the things that it does well, the sports entertainment, the epic main event matches where they're battling outside the ring for a long time. Um, Other than that, I'm not sure, but you know, I've never been one to root for a company to go out of business, especially one as, as crucial to the, the, uh, the industry as WWE is, I'm sure as hell not going to start doing that now. I don't yeah. understand this thing that like, oh, I hope AEW destroys them. Oh, I hope WWE squashes them. Why? Don't you want to have more wrestling to watch? Like, what, what, what am I missing here? They're not even yeah. on at the same time anymore. So you can't even say that. Like, you have time to watch
1: both. That's the kind <laughs> of mindset that, that really, honestly, I mean, WWE spent many, many years kind of fostering that kind of mindset. And I think yeah. it really blossomed during the wars with WCW, where it was this idea of you take one side or the other, because that was going on even then with WC. I knew people that they would not watch Nitro, no matter what you told them, what was going sure. to be on, who was coming. It's going to be great. Now they stuck with WWF through everything through Duke, the dumpster trocey and, And the other way around though i mean it's worth no yeah both ways both ways yeah but 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 yeah there's this idea and i think it's you know if you if you have no awareness especially of what wrestling was before that then then that's how you think you think in terms of brands you don't think in terms of pro wrestling as a sport or an industry you just Mm -hmm. think i'm not a pro wrestling fan right i am a wwe fan that's that's how a lot of a lot of Fans will think, or I am an AEW fan. Let's say, and they will, and they don't see it as this is a genre of entertainment that I enjoy. It's just this is a brand that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, and and I honestly, you know, take uh, uh, everything over the weekend. And as great as all that was, I, I think it's good for WWE. I mean, the same way that WCW's rise was uh, good for WWE. You know, what was it not for uh, the NWO and everything that WCW was doing? What would WWF have looked like, you know, in the second half of the 90s um, and on? I mean, they would have been stuck in a lot of bad habits that weren't really working. And, uh, you know, they, this is going to maybe shake loose some things in WWE that need to be shaken loose. And uh, unlike, you know, that's the 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 one thing that I think can push WWE into making some changes that on their own they'll never... Um, make if they clearly become the number two and they're not yet, you know, they're still definitively the number one, but when WCW became the brand in the nineties, then WWE I think had to go against their instincts in a lot of ways and do things that um, did not come naturally to them. And um, I think that could happen here and that'll be good for WWE and and good for wrestling in in general. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, what we came here talking about, uh, the 2021 PWI 500. Uh, by now we mentioned it, Kenny Omega is uh, number one for the second time. Uh, you know, I, I think this all kind of, you know, goes together with the conversation we just had AEW now for two years in a row has held the number one, uh, spot. And if you go back further than that, Kenny Omega had it when he was in new Japan a few years ago uh, before that, uh, WWE still has a really strong showing on, on this list. I think they've got four wrestlers in the, in the top 10, a lot of the most diversity in the top 10, maybe ever, you know, um, in terms of different wrestling companies, right? I mean, you've got, uh, AEW and WWE represented. New Japan's always um, um, in there too. Uh, and Impact back in the mix uh, this year for the first time in a long time. So uh, Kevin talk about how you think this year's top 10 um, matches up with some of uh, our past top 10s.
2: I'm really proud of it. And I think when we put it together, we said, wow I don't know if everyone's gonna agree with the order. I don't even know if I agree with the order cause you know, it's a consensus. Um, I don't mean me, I mean any one of us. I think any one of us could have made a slightly different top 10. Um, as far as the order, but I think we all felt pretty good about the composition of it. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's an exciting time. to I, I tried to say, it, but it's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. I'm really, I mean, the sport of wrestling, um, you know, having four companies in there and WWE, again, still very well represented three of the top five. We're going to get accused of being on the AEW payroll as we always sure. do. Again, even though WWE had, had three of the top five. Um,
0: more, more wrestlers than, AW has in the top 10. Is that right? So AW's oh, yeah. got uh, Moxley and Omega. I think that's it, right? In the yep. top 10? Yep.
2: yep. In fact, uh, New Japan has more in the top 10. Right. And honestly, I I think part of that is because New Japan was kind of limited uh, this year in some ways. I mean, COVID shutdowns periodically, but also injuries. You had Will Ospreay getting knocked out of competition. Um, you know, the upside with that is that Shingo Takagi benefited and put him in the top 10. Honestly, he might have been in the top 10 just on the strength of his work this year, but... Yeah, it's uh a good a good year for for all those companies. And then impact returning. Um and you could credit Kenny Omega with raising the profile of impact, but I mean it's mm-hmm. Rich Swan on the list. He hasn't been on uh AEW programming at all, not even a cameo, you know. So um right. Yeah, he I I don't think he even showed up like to
0: yeah, no. no, I don't think so. Yeah. Let, let's talk about, uh, uh, you know, the horse race for, yeah. for number one uh, between Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega. There's a lot of discussion and we were meeting to talk about the list. For a while, I was making the case for for Roman Reigns. Ultimately, I came on board. I think we made the right decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, what, what was the deciding factor? What was the difference maker for you between Kenny Omega uh, and, and Roman Reigns that, that had Kenny take the edge?
2: It's those championships. I mean, we look at three titles that you know, we now recognize all three of them as world well titles. Um, by press time, he'd lost the Impact title, but he held it through the end of the evaluation period. Um, and you look at those three things, uh, and think about years ago, if someone had held the WWF, AWA, and NWA championship at the same time.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'm not suggesting that those three championships are all on that level. But they're all... World championships respected outside of those promotions in big ways. Um, he was main eventing shows for all three of those companies. That's huge. Roman Reigns, I think almost any other year takes it, but Roman Reigns was also far less active. You know, um, if you look at the opponents he has, you know, he was feuding with his cousins a lot. He didn't have the quality of competition that Kenny did either. So the fact that he was a close number two. I think really speaks to the work that he was doing with his uh, character and embracing that heel role. Because again, it it was closer than it should have been any other year that should have been not close at all.
0: You know, what you just said is kind of mind blowing too. And I think again, it goes to the bigger discussion of kind of the landscape of pro wrestling that the, the top guy in WWE, the universal champion, the dominant champion WWE didn't have the quality of competition that the guy in the other channel did and uh it, it speaks to something that that brian and i were talking about in, in the last show is that um you know the, the stars really are an aw now not that w doesn't but i mean there's there's no lack of star power and right so uh kenny omega is is working with some of the most recognizable uh names in the world and um Roman Reigns actually didn't have that much to to you know
2: WrestleMania Kevin, is a major exception that WrestleMania that was better sure
0: Daniel Bryan and, and Edge uh and Kevin Owens you know we feuded with him early in the year and late last year but other than that yeah i mean uh Cesaro's a name but i don't i don't know that he's uh, as big a name as some of the guys that that Kenny worked with um Jay Uso. yeah you know
1: again uh, great
2: matches sure up. just
1: it, not, it reminds me yeah, it reminds me a lot, actually, of the comparisons that would happen in the 80s with Hogan and Flair, because that was always the big, like you know, Hogan, you know, like Roman Reigns and WWE has the higher profile. The argument was always Hogan is more well known. He's more famous. He's more popular. Sure, of course. But it, and it, but if you're rating it as a sport and you're looking at the two, Flair as the NWA world champion has much better competition, a wider range of competition, better opponents, you know, and Hogan not as much. You know, he's got like the big bruisers and the, and the guys that are like statues and all that kind of thing. That was the argument. And I'm not saying it's the exact same thing that's happening now, but it's kind of a variation on that because look, it was always, I think if, if we had the 500 in the eighties, I think that would have been the hottest debate, Hogan or Flair, number one, like every year, they would have probably been going back and forth as to who would be the number one. But in, so in this case, there's, This is my opinion here, but there could have been no argument for anyone other than those two guys. I mean, that's what it boils down to, is one of those two guys. So if anybody were to have a problem with it, it, 99.9% of the people with an issue with it are going to be people who feel it should have been Roman Reigns, honestly. And I mean, an argument could be made. Like you said, we debated back and forth. But if you are trying to cover this in a sports-like way, like Kevin said, and you're looking at accomplishments in the ring and things like that, How could you not take the guy who held the three top championships of three different major companies, the first person to do that in North America since Luthez, and not make him the number one guy on the list? It it almost would make it a a farce, kind of. Yeah. And I mean, let's be
2: honest, too. Roman cut some of the best wrestling promos ever, but we're not pro promos illustrated.
1: There you go.
2: You know, like, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but, that's but good. but the, again the matches were amazing too, and I think that Roman Reigns, the main event style that Roman Reigns worked, could be a great path going forward for WWE. You know, yeah, I more, mean, like long term storytelling. R- Roman,
1: sorry,
0: I'm sorry. I'm just Roman's been at the top of this list um, before, uh-huh. and was better this year. This is the best year that Roman ever had, and Kenny was still, uh, I think, decisively better than Roman. So he he. Was better than Roman and Roman's best year,
1: yeah, and that's that's the problem when you take this kind of all or nothing, you're only on one side or the other, you know approach to this. Of course, you're constantly going to be frustrated. The more positive approach is to say that both of these two guys are incredible. Sure. You know, there can only be one. You know, like Highlander, right? So we had to pick one, but they both are deserving of immense credit for for for. It's almost like uh, it, not. I'm not advocating for a tie, but if ever they, they came the closest in my mind to almost being a tie, they were really really close. Not that we should do a tie. I'm not saying <laughs> no. That. But but yeah. it but it just came down to and. Look, but both of those guys, this is the irony, are guys that I was, again, me personally, I was not completely sold on them until this past year when they reached the, you know, where they are right now. Even Omega, he he's somebody that won me over as an all-around performer since he's come into this role as heel world champion. Same thing with Roman Reigns. He was always like, oh, my God, are they going to stop shoving this guy down everybody's throat? And now nobody's saying that. And they both did that at the same time. I think that's incredible. You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to be a glass half full person here. They both deserve incredible kudos for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A, a really strong number one. And a really strong number two uh, as well. Let's talk about number three, a really strong number three that I think even in in most years maybe also would have been in the running for for number one, and that's Bobby Lashley, who uh, certainly in in the second half of the evaluation period came on uh, really strong, you know, dethroned, actually didn't dethrone uh, Drew McIntyre, dethroned The Miz. Um, But once he got that title, really established himself as a legit um, world champion. To me, turning point was WrestleMania, the the first live match in front of wrestling fans since the pandemic uh, there in in Tampa Bay, getting the clean win, basically. uh, And I know they they talk about MVP kind of sort of interfering, but I thought it was a a dominant performance and it's crazy. I mean, he is 45 years old um, and uh, just absolutely looks fantastic. Best year of his career and proved uh, that he belonged, you know, similar to the discussion between Kenny and Roman, I think there was also a discussion about sort of three and four. Should it be Drew? Should it be uh, Bobby? And when we were having these discussions, they were still working against each other. And I remember we were waiting, I think on Hell in the Cell to see, you know, who would win, how would they look? And we already had Bobby uh, ahead of them, but he wanted to beat him cleanly there at Hell in the Cell too. So um, uh, talk a bit about Bobby Lashley and, and the year he had uh, Kevin.
2: Yeah. Um, I think, had Bobby Lashley won the championship a little earlier in the evaluation period, we could have been looking at a really close three-person run here. Um, where Roman was not necessarily being featured in matches every week, Lashley was. He had some kind of goofy losses, fluke losses. I think most of those were outside of the evaluation period. They're they're on this side of it uh, for next year's list. Um, but, you know, overall, just incredible run for him. Um, some really memorable hard hitting matches. I love the rivalry with, uh, Drew McIntyre, who again, also had a great year, um, worth get, of course, singling out the hurt business and the presentation with MVP really put him over the top as this main event level guy felt like something that was really a long time overdue for him, but he had to kind of grow into that role. And he really didn't, he exceeded, I think any expectation people, um, had for him maybe coming out of his previous WWE run. And just even early in this run, I mean, we look at WrestleMania 2020, he lost to Aleister Black in a kind of nothing match. Like it was, it was a few minutes long. It ended because of Lana interference. And then for him to turn around and be this incredibly credible, (laughs) that was an awkward turn of phrase, but this incredible (laughs) and believable world champion, this guy who has done MMA, who could believably, you know, if you throw him in there with Brock Lesnar, go head to head with him perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, great year for Lashley. And again, I mean, he, he's still doing great. So he's in in good shape for next year's list, even.
0: Yeah. I think a bright spot on, on, uh, kind of a, uh, cold product right now on raw. Yeah. Uh, and I think kind of like Roman, they, they found the right character for him, you know, uh, the suit kind of the, um, uh, the, the pro athlete, elite pro athlete kind of a character, I think fits him to the T. And something that's maybe not talked about uh, enough, and this is really high praise given the way WWE promos are done, he's become a pretty good promo. You know, oh, yeah. you get a microphone in front of Lashley, and uh, he is uh, believable and intense and makes it work. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like um, Brock Lesnar in his first run back in the early 2000s, where he always had Heyman doing the talking for him. But when you put a a mic in front of Brock, you were like, wow, he's pretty good. And it's the same thing. MVP does a great job, but I think when he, he, um, he does get the stick. uh, Bobby is very good uh, as well. Uh, What are your thoughts, Brian, on, on Lashley's year?
1: He's really come into his own. I mean, he's a great example of somebody who, should you know of why you should never kind of count people out later in their career you know and and i'm not saying he's over the hill by any means at all i mean i think he's still in his prime but but i think he is in the later part of his career i think most would agree here even if he goes like another you know five or ten years um it this is this this is kind of like what they wanted from him in his first wwe run they were really ready you know to kind of shoot him to the moon. I mean, they really were, and he wasn't really there yet. He wasn't at the point they needed him to be. I think going to TNA helped. Uh, he he really came back at different and other things that he did, obviously, but that's really where he first started opening my eyes and the kind of matches and programs he would have with people like Kurt Angle. I mean, just in some of the best stuff that was happening in the industry at the time. And now he's back and, you know, he, he it took them a little bit for them to, put the right creative on him but but he's really come into it and i i think uh, again it's easy to say we could say this about anything but but if it wasn't for what roman is doing you know uh, obviously he'd be the number one guy in most people's eyes in the entire wwe i mean you could say that if about anything but you know again it's no slight on him he's holding the wwe championship it's the most you know historic title the company has and he's carrying it really well
0: yeah yeah so about number four, uh, I mentioned Drew McIntyre, uh, a, a fascinating figure in in a lot of ways. You know, I call him in my profile of him uh, the man who built the Thunderdome, and uh, that's because you know he had this. He had two reigns with WWE Championship, um, both lengthy reigns. He was the top guy for the better part of the year and never defended his title in front of um, live fans. And uh, it's, it's kind of a shame, you know, I don't think it's any bad reflection on him. It was just kind of, he was sort of a victim of circumstance. Uh, but I think, I think did a real admirable uh, job in his role for the year he was on top. They're clearly taking a big step back now. I think he's lost back-to-back matches on raw over the last uh, couple of weeks. So it looks like for now that experiment is over. I imagine there's probably a change of scenery in line for him. And maybe he goes over to SmackDown and um, you could, you could do a feud with Roman that I think, um, could be pretty good. Uh, but, uh, uh Kevin, is it, you know, again, kind of, a, a story of, um, you know, what could have been with Drew?
2: I think so. Um, but I, th- I suspect even if there were audiences toward the end of it, people would have gotten behind Lashley just because the her business was something fresh. Yeah, for sure. you know? yep. Um, and you know, they had a great rivalry. McIntyre had a solid run as champ, even if, you know, those weren't always the best episodes of raw in the history of the show, but that's hardly his fault. Um, yeah. I mean, again, another guy where he sort of had to grow into his role as champion, but when he did, um, you know, credit to, I think you guys mentioned a few episodes of the podcast ago that, Impact could sort of be looked as like this incubator for WWE because a lot of WWE's guys who are on the up right now spent some formative time there. And those are both guys who left WWE, went to Impact, reinvented themselves, and came back better than ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the year uh, Drew McIntyre had, Brian?
1: I think, uh, I mean, clearly they have uh, put, put on the brakes on him, at least, at least temporarily. And it may feel like, um, he failed, you know, in that role, like that, that maybe that's the company's position on him right now. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, and it's certainly not his fault. Like everybody has said, I think the pandemic stuff went against him. The Thunderdome stuff went against him. I mean, I think personally, from my point of view, and we've been talking about this, Since the very beginning of it, uh, I don't think he quite lived up to definitely my expectation. I mean, it just to me, it it feels now and this happens a lot in wrestling, but it feels now like his title reign and his push was like a thousand years ago to me. Yeah. And, And it wasn't. I mean, it was very recently, but, you know, he's feuding with. Jinder Mahal over a sword. I mean, <laughs> that's a that's a big come down. I hate to say it, you know. And and, and of course, Jinder Hall, also another WWE champion. But again, that might have been a, that might as well have been a thousand years ago. I think the rule in wrestling, in my experience, is anytime people are feuding over a physical object, it kind of means you're in the mid card. Like that's that's sort of like the. And of course, people will pull out a million exceptions. I'm sure that I haven't thought of. But that's like the vibe that I get. And do I feel that it's a permanent thing? No, I think WWE has a lot of potential main eventers and you have to switch people up and move them around. But there are certain people that they would never do that to, no matter what. Like they're always going to be somewhere in there. Like Brock Lesnar isn't going to be doing that. Roman Reigns, not anytime soon, is going to be doing that. You know, And and they felt with McIntyre, yeah, we'll have him do that. We'll keep him busy for a while because I don't think he quite – uh, did what they were hoping for again. Not his fault, but uh, it just is what it is, you know. And I, I'm hoping that he can get back into one of those top spots if he goes against Reigns and things like that. But I, I, I don't think it's guaranteed. I certainly don't.
0: I, I think in a lot of ways he was, uh, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but he was like the perfect champion for the pandemic era because we talked about how for for that year WWE was it, it was almost like. Vince McMahon's vision in like a petri dish, right? Because he could control everything. You know, he was piping in the 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 crowd noise and the fans. It was this very controlled setting, and again, in this kind of lab setting, Drew McIntyre is the perfect WWE wrestler for him, right? He's tall, he's muscular, he's handsome. He kind of checks all the boxes. Uh, so it was sort of like this this robotic. Uh, and and that that's going too far. But but it was this kind of uh, perfect casting of of um, a wrestling champion in this perfect setting with fans get excited about everything. And because of that, I think maybe WWE might have had some blinders on about um, I don't know shortcomings because I think Drew is fine. But um, those intangibles that uh, you're not going to get without live fans. And we talked about this a lot over that year. You know what would Drew. Uh, how how would he get over in front of live fans and i think he would have gotten over fine but i think it would have been clear that he wasn't the guy right i mean that there there wasn't that connection with fans that there was with daniel bryan back in 2014 or steve austin or even john cena uh, you know he was closer to Roman Reigns when, when Roman was getting pushed as a top babyface, face um, and, and not at all as, as hated as he was because Roman was getting a lot of backlash, but also not over to the point that you need to be, to be the top guy in WWE.
1: So, so then it's almost kind of like, you know, and, and I would sort of agree with that. It almost could be said that The Thunderdome and pandemic era actually helped to prolong his time at the top, maybe even more than it would have been without it, rather than the other way around. Because I'm sure like at the time we were sort of hoping and thinking. Except that
0: maybe he would have corrected course somewhere along the way. We would have seen a tweak of the character.
1: We were hoping that if he was in front of live audiences, that he might find his way better and he might be able to prove, hey, look how over I am. Look how well this is going. But, yeah, I mean, it it could have very well been the opposite thing where they very quickly said, oh, my God, this isn't working. And you have like a three or four month, you know, time there and then and then move on Um, again, unless he was able to somehow regroup. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a kind of X. Intangible factor, there's no way of really knowing, but, you know, I mean, uh, it just didn't work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's jump to number uh, five. Our first uh, New Japan wrestler on this list, uh, Kota Ibushi. Am I right about that? Y- yes, he comes in at number five, coming off of his p- uh, Big Tokyo Dome uh, win of uh, both the world title and the Intercontinental title. Uh, later was rebranded as the I. What do they call it? The IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, uh, of which he was the first to hold that title. Um, had a, a really strong first half of this year, uh, but for various circumstances has, has kind of taken a, a back seat uh, Another guy who maybe, you know, y- there was so much buildup for, for so long about kind of coronating him as the next Tokyo dome uh, attraction sensation. And um, the run didn't last um, all that long. And uh, now we, we haven't seen him in the ring in, in some time. Um, Kevin, what would you say about how the the Kotobushi experiment went for New Japan?
2: I mean, I think he's going to continue to be in the mix and be one of those guys who can, you know, be a featured match at the Tokyo Dome. Um, As far as that reign goes, I don't... New Japan has been a little puzzling lately in some ways. Like, yes, some of this is, you know, Ospreay was injured, so they had to take the title off him. Um, But generally speaking, they've done some, like, really out of left field things. I mean, Evil was the IWGP heavyweight champion last year. Um, actually, was that? Yeah, he was a double champion.
0: It was, yeah. So, it was in the evaluation period very early.
2: Yeah. Uh, for As far as Coda's concerned, I know, um, at least the word was that for a long time, I mean, he was still technically a freelancer until a couple of years ago. Um, and that desire to kind of go and do whatever he wanted kept him from getting to that top level i don't know if that's still a concern i mean he's certainly new japan exclusive now um but i mean his his work is in-ring work is arguably some of the best in the business um he can hang in there with the okadas of the world and you know uh obviously i think people want to see that the dream match at some point with uh Abushi and Omega wrestling each other again after, you know, pairing up. But I think the fact that New Japan didn't really have that single top star this year is what is the reason that we don't have a New Japan guy in the top three, even Kota Ibushi. You know, as good yeah. as that first half of the year was, he won the G1 Climax. Um, you know, had some terrific matches in there. Won both nights at Wrestle Kingdom you know, won the title the first night, successfully defended at the second. Um, it became this new championship with this new lineage, even though everyone kind of knows it's...
0: it's Even contract. that was a, a weird decision, right? I mean, the whole kind of rebranding of the world title.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and it'll still be talked about as, you know, Ibushi or Osprey or whoever else following in the footsteps of all these great New Japan champions. But it's worth mentioning, the IWGP championship itself was resurrected about three different times. So it's not entirely unprecedented for them. Um, I realize these thoughts are kind of all over the place. It'd probably be good to talk to uh, at some point for you to get Walter Yates back on. He'd be a lot more eloquent about this um, yeah. because that that's his bread and butter, his New Japan stuff. But you know, for what it's worth, I mean, Kota's still one of the best. And number five, it's not a bad place to be, especially in a competitive year like this one.
0: Let, let's do something unusual here and, and skip over number six for the moment so we can keep the discussion of New Japan going and uh, talk about uh, seven and eight, which uh, – or is it seven and
2: – Seven and nine.
0: Nine, okay. Uh, so Will Ospreay comes in at number um, seven, and at number nine is Shingo Takagi, a new name uh, in, in the top uh, uh, ten. And it it really uh, – Okada for so long has, has been the guy, kind of taking a back seat this year to some of these other guys. Um, What have you thought about those three, Brian, uh, uh, Koda, Will Ospreay, and Shingo this year kind of, you know, really um, setting the standard in New Japan?
1: I think it's been some bright spots on what I feel overall has been uh, maybe a bit of a down year for the company as a whole. Uh, And again, it's been a down year for a lot, but I mean, even compared to others, it just feels like they've lost a step, but, but those are the people, I mean, certainly the coronation of abushi as being, you know, one of their next big guys. And, and it, it's, they they've sort of kept things going and kept things interesting over there. I think in, in a way that they sort of need right now. Um, I, I think I uh, I'm expecting that things are going to change and kind of turn up for them again, pretty soon. I agree that the whole thing with the world title and, um, Is a little unusual, but like Kevin sort of even hinted at, I mean, that title's been very weird over the years. It started out as a it wasn't even a belt. It was a trophy. Right. That was won every year. It wasn't even defended. And then it just became a championship and a belt. And so, I mean, like, that's nothing new. But, you know, I mean, I think in a way it's like they're doing what they need to do. They're looking for new people to kind of take those spots so that you can avoid the stagnancy. And no matter how great guys are okada and tanahashi no matter how great they are everybody gets stale after a while even even the greatest and it's even been one of my personal gripes about watching new japan is like even the greatest you know 45 minute 17 star match with forty thousand false finishes and everything when you're seeing that constantly all the time i know it's an embarrassment of riches it, even that can become kind of stale and you want to see something different. You want to see different people doing it. So they're doing what needs to be done. They're taking a long term kind of rebuilding approach, like they say in baseball. Right. It's a rebuilding year. Maybe that's what this is for them.
0: I think they've been uh, dealt a lot of bad breaks too. Uh Ibushi's had health issues that have kept him out of the ring. Obviously, after kind of a long buildup, they went with Will Ospreay, which was like, wow, you know, uh, a guy who was a junior for so long and has been looking to transition into the heavyweight mix. They put the the world title on him, um, I think, like a month into his reign um, in in that match with Shingo. He gets some pretty serious injuries. He's out. Title is held up. And uh, if there was a real bright spot this year, it was Shingo because Shingo kind of came out of um, the, the back and he's been a workhorse for so long. Uh, and I remember seeing his work a lot in, in Dragon Gate, USA, when when they were present uh, here. Uh, but, you know, putting together his profile, just looking... On, on, on any year, it'd be impressive how much this guy was working and a year of, of a pandemic. I think he had something like 150 matches. I mean, he was out there night after night after night, having these sensational um, uh, performances. And I think really kind of looking to cement himself as one of the top guys and, and did so, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys are, are Rocky five fans, uh, but, but I, I, you know, and I think about him in a way sort of the union cane of um, <laughs> new Japan in that, you know, the paper champion, he never, he didn't get to beat um, the four. He has beat uh, everybody, you know, in, in the last year, but, but the lineage is, you know, going to have that little gap there because the title was held up. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to uh, beat somebody to call yourself a world champion, Okada's a pretty good guy uh, to beat. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, here's a guy who probably, I, you know, you, you said he might've been Kevin. I don't know that he would have been in the top 10 were it not for, uh, him getting that title. Uh, but now I feel like kind of cemented himself as a top 10 guy and, and might be, uh, for some time. Um, but I do hope to see Okada back in this mix. I mean, it does, it, it's now been, close to two years since Okada's won that title, I think. And he is still, I think, the, the the franchise. And I understand why, you know, you'd want to get some other guys in that mix, but he's still young uh, unless there's something going on that we don't know about it. It's a little bit surprising to see them uh, take take such a step back um, from him because he was so incredible. He was the first Japanese wrestler ever to top the, the PBI 500. Uh, and I'm, I'm sort of waiting for him to get, Back in in that mix, a, a five hundred, you know, sort of like what it was with Cena for uh, a long time. It's it's become expected that you're going to see Okada in that top ten. And where do we have
2: him this year? Gosh, uh, he's not even in the top twenty. I think uh,
0: looking it up now. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: but I mean, I will say Okada's not going anywhere. I mean, Tanahashi hasn't even really gone anywhere, and he's yeah. got quite a few years. He was the guy who Three, five. what number?
0: If, if the the version i have in front of me is yeah. right uh he's at 25 it's yeah. crazy yeah
2: <laughs> yeah that's the lowest ranking for him at some time i mean but i think it was the right call to go with Shingo. I oh mean, yeah I, we're gonna get people who'd say that we're idiots for not making him number one just on the quality of his matches um and for people who that's the only thing that matters i get that his matches were ridiculously good um And by far his highest ranking, he had a decent ranking last year, but no, I mean, nowhere near the top 20 even. Um, and you know, for many years was kind of hampered by the fact that he was in dragon gate where it's so tag team based, um, you know, dragon gate certainly has their big single stars, but they tend to do a little less well on our list for that reason. Um, but you know, this year for sure broke out as this top singles attraction, really reliable worker, uh, works a lot. Like you said, uh, he's been, you know, he's another junior heavyweight who moved up. Um, and he's actually been working with a lot of the the junior heavyweight division, uh, not always title defenses, but kind of lifting them up, giving them the rub a little bit. Um, you know, obviously Osprey, uh, he's a divisive figure. A lot of people don't like him. I think more for personal reasons than, um, professional reasons um and that that's that's fine legitimate totally get that but in the rank and for going by these criteria the influence the the accolades the performances you know you get why they put him on top for that reason um yeah. and a bad break for him and the company that that got stalled because i'm sure they had a plan in place whether it was for him to hold that title for a while or to go back and forth at the bushy or what uh, but yeah it's As Brian said, kind of a a tough year for New Japan, a lot of things that were beyond their control, um, but also just sort of different creative approach the past couple of years. And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I think there's still a lot to be excited about over there, though.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let's jump back again now to uh, number six, who is John Moxley, last year's uh, number one. Uh, As we said, the only other AEW wrestler in the top ten. Had a really, really uh, a good year. Still one of the top stars there. What I pointed out in my profile is, I don't know about everybody else, but I start to get worried about, you know, him delving so much into, like, the the hardcore, extreme, violent
1: stuff. He's the GCW uh, he, champion now. Yeah, <laughs> the one it, now people, were, people were really hoping that his match on the pay-per-view was going to be turned into a GCW championship yeah. match.
2: But that wouldn't have made <laughs> any sense with Kojima. No. Like, with Suzuki, sure. But, like, Kojima's not that kind of wrestler. Uh, yeah. I, I, not that Suzuki is a hardcore wrestler, but he's, a, he's much more like, okay, you think he's really going to kill somebody in the ring? Whereas Kojima, it's like, he's a great wrestler, but anyway.
0: Yeah. yeah. But Brian, what do you think about this direction uh, for him? I mean, he, he's unapologetic about, you know, w- wanting to to do this. He's embracing danger. You know, he's got the whole wild thing uh, going on. Um, you know, he, it, and to some extent, it served him well. I mean, he's carved out his niche in uh, AEW. But uh, for for you know a year ago, I think he was wearing uh, the the uh, world title in AEW and the U.S. title in New Japan. Now he's got neither, uh, but it's still you know I'd say one of the top draws in the company. So, uh, what do you think about where his career is headed?
1: I think that this. I think he's I think enjoying this, himself. I, I mean, pretty clear. I think I think this is what he yeah. wants to be doing doing like I don't think that anything really since he's come to AEW I feel like like a lot of people have he's been getting to do what he wants to do Um, there was I I do have hopes though that um, and and kind of confident hopes that it's not just going to be that like for example that that promo was a very telling promo that he cut right before Punk came in I think the week before that a lot of people said was kind of indirectly, but directly directed at a lot of these new people that were going to be coming in where it was almost like whether storyline or not, he seemed to kind of have a chip on his shoulder. Oh, now you want to be here. I've been here since, you know, whatever, maybe not day one, but day two or whatever. And now you want to come in and now you want to do this. And so I think you've got a lot of fodder there with him for feuds with a lot of the people coming in that are at least perceived as the ex wwe you know main eventers coming in i I think there's a lot of uh potential there i could see him doing a lot with it i mean he as long as he doesn't seriously injure himself i mean if he's happy this is what he wanted to be doing you know wwe wouldn't let him do this stuff i mean he wanted to be doing this kind of stuff even then and they were like you know we don't do that anymore pal so so you know he couldn't he couldn't really kind of spread his wings and now he's getting a chance to so good for him you know look another thing that people have said i mean how brilliant you know he's got this he switched sides he gets to be home with his beautiful wife and their beautiful new child most of the time, you know, he, he he's working a much more reduced schedule and he's doing what he loves. So, bravo.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to what we were talking about before with all the, the departures from WWE and going over to AEW, he's probably as responsible as, as uh, anybody for yes. some of that in that he really showed, look, you don't have to live in misery over there. You know, like yeah. there is this alternative um and you're going to be super happy over there he he's the going back to my comparison he's the guy who leaves that that corporate job and and takes the the job in the other place and says i'm having the time of my life over here come join me and uh, we've seen all the the dominoes fall uh, since that
2: I think, uh, yeah, I think it was david bixson's fan said something along the lines of wow moxley really said F it, I'm gonna quit WWE so I can spend more time with my wife and be in death matches on the weekend. Like, uh, <laughs> there yeah, you go. yeah, I mean, and he's loving it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I, I think the only thing is, like, we we know, uh, and and if that's what he wants to do, good for him. I think um, th- those of us who follow his career knows that he doesn't have to be just that. Now, if he wants to do that, you know, but I guess have at it. Um, be safe. We know, none of us want to see him get hurt, but we know that he he uh, is capable of also having just great wrestling matches
1: with with anybody uh, in in the company. Right. So, but I think that on uh, top of that stuff, though, with him, it, I, I, it's not just that he's enjoying himself. I do think that looking at his entire AEW run so far, that he has lived up to his potential further than he did in WWE. I mean, in WWE, oh, yeah. he you know he started out as the leader of the Shield. eventually became the third most interesting and over person in the group you just saw that it just went like you know and now he's had a chance to to really shine he was the champion he ran with it he's an incredible like edgy baby face you know and in like the steve austin roddy piper kind of mold like great promos probably the best baby face promos period just it's phenomenal. So, I mean, like, he's having the best of both worlds. It's not just that he's saying, ah, screw it, I want to enjoy myself even if my career suffers. Like, I think his career is doing very well on top of it. It's, it's great. It's like a win-win for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's jump to uh, number eight. There was, I think, a healthy uh, amount of debate about this guy, too, and, and uh, him, his spot in the top ten, if he should be in the top ten, and that's um, Finn Balor, who, on what I think we were talking about this too. It's been a pretty down year for NXT. Um, he really kind of held down the fort over there. You know, they moved them over, I think in 2019 um, when they came over to USA. And I think the thought was, let's get a a veteran presence, a a, a guy who knows what it is to be a top guy, not just uh, in NXT, but you know, he, he held world titles and WWE proper and was a big star in Japan and all over the world. And I think, um, did a real admirable job of holding down those main events in NXT. Uh, you know, the re- TakeOver used to be like this real, and, and TakeOvers are still good, you know, but uh, when you think about the days of, you know, Barclays in, in Brooklyn and, and the night before SummerSlam, and they would steal the weekend um, over and over again, it's not that anymore. And I think Finn was the guy doing his best to keep it that. And I had some great matches against um, a a variety of, of competition. Um, And I I guess it was, was it just after the valuation period moved back over to, uh, to SmackDown? Um,
1: I'm uh, not sure, Kevin.
0: I think so. So,
2: yeah, I, I think it was in NXT through the end of the evaluation period. Sorry, I'm, while we're doing this, I, I should mention, because people probably see me typing and doing all this other stuff. Some stuff comes in that's urgent, like a link had to be fixed, that sort of thing. <laughs> and it's about yeah. 80 degrees in this room right now. And I'm basically turning this fan on. I mean, everyone could see I'm, I'm usually very pink, but I'm especially pink. It's probably about <laughs> 80 degrees in here. And again, like I'm muting and then turning the loud desk fan on and then like, oh, oh. like water and like... I get through half a sentence and I'm hot again. Um, Anyway, that's a me problem.
3: Uh, (laughs) The question was
2: just thoughts on him or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. (laughs) We held NXT together, but the thing is, NXT was similarly disjointed. We talked about NXT being derailed or New Japan being derailed by injury and unplanned things that happened. You know, Keith Lee got that call up because they seemed to be ready to work with him. And then, of course, there were issues there, which or addressed in his uh, 500 bio that, that you wrote out. But, um, you know, basically it was a situation where Karrion Cross was put in the position that he he was, he was ascended to again later on. And it seemed like they were sort of scrambling to figure out who was going to take the ball at that point. And it ended up being Finn, and to his credit, did a great job with it, had some great matches. But this is during a period when NXT was really kind of coming apart a little bit on the wing. Mm-hmm. They were getting their butts whooped in the ratings, um, which doesn't, isn't an indicator of quality in many cases. I, th- I think like more often than not, the weekly show was still very good, but the prestige is certainly not what it was. As you mentioned back in the Barclays days, uh, back when takeover was uh, you cleared your schedule for it. Um, you know, and certainly like we're clearing our schedules for it Cause we have to watch it, but I, I don't know that fans are, I don't, I think being the NXT champion met a whole lot less this year. Um, yeah. I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast or not, but when we were considering new championships for world title status, the reason we didn't go with NXT is like, I'm pretty sure WWE still considers this developmental, which was controversial yeah, and- at the time, but it turned out to be true.
1: Yeah. Because look yeah. what they did even with Charlotte's titles that they're not even counting her NXT titles as world titles, you know, with her chasing her dad's record. They don't, they don't even count them.
0: Wow. And, and not not to go too much of a tangent, but I but I think we've seen some stuff in just in the last few weeks that that is relevant to all this and um, clearly a reset going on. In, and we didn't know about America. any of that
2: at the time, but we kind of saw where the wind was. Yeah, it's not to this level.
0: And there, there's a lot of criticism, obviously, about, you know, um, some of it is is in fun with this new logo and and just the thought that vince mcmahon and bruce pritcher are going to be more hands-on our
2: cover cover has a very like some of the same colors and we were accused of making a comment on nxt the season assist the cover was designed weeks before the new nxt (laughs) just go with it you know (laughs) yeah i mean no we did it it's a joke we're we're making nxt
0: But 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 I in in their defense, I kind of understand Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard kind of re, trying to reset and say, look, yeah. we've kind of got away from what this was supposed to be, which is yeah. developmental. And and in a way, NXT became um it was sort of like this Frankenstein's monster where the idea remember when, when NXT first first launched way back in the day uh as this goofy like reality reality show. And um there was so much buzz about Brian Danielson coming over from Ring of Honor and the independence to WB and how sort of offended everybody was that they would put Brian Danielson in developmental in in NXT. And um I feel like today, if you got a, a, a top guy, and, and this has been the case for the last few years, the top independent guy that they signed, you expected him to go to NXT to be like a top NXT guy, and NXT's, you know, moved away from being developmental, and it just became kind of like the boutique niche wrestling brand for WWE, this is where you came to see Adam Cole, and, uh, uh, you know, name your former indie darling, undersized, super athletic star. And the problem with that is, for better or for worse, if Adam Cole does not have, and this is not a reflection on him, but if Vince McMahon makes the call that Adam Cole does not have what it takes to be a star on Raw or SmackDown, then he shouldn't be working for WWE, right? I mean, if, if, if he's not your vision for for what a WWE star looks like, then what's the point of, of having them at all. So, and that's kind of what NXT became was not developmental. It was just where we kind of put the wrestlers that don't fit the, (laughs) our vision for the rest of uh, uh, the company. Um, And I don't know how this ties into Finn Balor other than, um, you know, I think he was sent there to kind of correct course. I feel badly that uh, he was the guy at the helm at a, a time where they were pretty soundly defeated. I don't know how much of that blowback lands on him. I guess not because, you know, they, they brought him over to SmackDown and put him in a program with their top guys. So I think they realize he's
1: better than that too. What do you think, Brian? I think that NXT is a very complicated is issue. Very complicated. I mean, to, to look at, I, I think it's going to take some perspective, looking back on it to figure out what went wrong and why. I think... Now, trying to look back on it, one of the issues, I think, was kind of wanting to have it both ways, like um, putting them on TV in the way they were, making them a competitive brand, trying to rebrand them away from being developmental, but yet still thinking of them as developmental at the same time. Like if NXT truly became a destination in and of itself, a different brand, which it looked like it was going to be, I think it would have been okay. Don't put it against AEW. Make it its own thing. You know, There was a moment there where we were looking at it as the strongest of the three brands. I mean, that happened. But I think because they were still saying, oh, we're calling these guys up. We're calling you up. We're calling you up. And every time it's flopping or not working most of the time. It gave NXT this kind of, it, it created this mixed message for fans. NXT was still seen as the feeder system. And the problem with that, what I always said is if you want it to be your feeder system, you can't put it out there on TV in front of all those people. Cause I think that's part of the reason why guys are getting sabotaged is management, fans to a certain degree, mainstream casual fans, maybe, but definitely management. They're looking at these guys as, oh, uh, they're not quite ready yet, or we're trying to get them to where they need to be. And it's almost like their brand is damaged from the minute they walk in the door. I mean, think think about the way things used to be with developmental or even before developmental when they were working with indies and things. You didn't, as, as a fan who maybe wasn't fanatical about following everything, you didn't see these guys until they popped up on your TV. You didn't know who John Cena was until he got in Kurt Angle's face. You didn't know who Brock Lesnar was right until he exploded on the scene. And you're like, oh, my God. But now it's like these are guys. Oh, yeah, we've watched him for a couple of years. And he started out as this kind of a scrub. And now he's here. That may work in, in other sports and things. But in something like wrestling, I personally believe that that does not work. In order for a talent to get over, they need to be presented as a big deal from the minute they walk in. Like, you know, we've been watching wrestling long enough to remember, like when you were a kid or, and you're watching wrestling in the 80s or 90s, whenever there was a guy who the announcers would go, oh, this guy's a real up and comer. This guy is, you know, he's new here and, you know, he's he, he's going to be something big or whatever. That was code for this guy's a jobber. Like, like that always meant this guy's going to lose. You know, they used to say it about like Jim Powers and Paul Roma and people like that. Oh, these are the young lions. They're on the way up. Like that really meant like, oh, this guy's going to say about Paul Roma, Brian. I'm sorry. I know he's a Connecticut guy like me. I want to keep him happy, you know, but, and, and, but, but he eventually got the push. Those guys got a push, but I felt like they had to work against that. Like, yes, Paul Roma and Jim Powers wound up getting a push as a tag team, but they had to work against being perceived as the new team coming in. Like, I just don't think that works. Like you wouldn't look at, um, you know, Sid, Sid vicious the same way you did. If you watched him just starting out kind of clumsy, or being presented as a new guy and putting people over and things like that, he would have been tarnished. I don't know why Sid Vicious just popped into my head as an example, but he was an <laughs> impressive guy because he came out of nowhere. And so I think NXT got got hurt in the end by wanting to do both things. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, it, it was a mess. Um, I, I think some of that is really kind of becoming apparent now as they're doing this reset, but it was so clear that you know, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. And it, it, as much as I'm uneasy about the prospect of Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard getting their fingerprints all over NXT, which um, I think a lot of fans feel have, has been the best WWE product for, for a while now, I also understand um, the need. You know, I, I was reminded of something you said, uh, you know, back in the, like the OVW days, it wasn't that unusual for them to take um a, a talent from OVW and completely recast them on the, the main brand when they'd call them up. But the reality is most people weren't watching OVW, right? I mean, I think the Bashams were were feuding against each other, right? And then they came over to WWE as a tag team and they were like mortal enemies a week earlier. Um, and and you could get away with that when you know you're you're on local TV in in Tennessee or something. Uh, but yeah, you'd have situations where Karrion Cross is your top guy. Uh, he's the, the defending champion, and you're building up to a, a takeover main event with Karrion Cross, And then he does a job on Raw in to, to Jeff Hardy in three minutes. And it's, you know, again, you, you guys have these brands had to get on
1: the same page. It, it gives you great freedom the way they used to do it to really experiment and try things out, you know, experimenting and trying things out is not really what you want to be doing on a television product. It's just not. And you were saying
0: the same network that is, that carries your A show. Even when it was Florida championship wrestling, you could do some of that. Um, And they had some local TV in Florida, but, but yeah, that's the downside of, you know, what was really good business deal with them getting on USA. I'm not saying they should have turned it down because it brought in a lot of revenue, but it, it does, um, I, I do think there needed to be a course correction. Now, whether this is the right way to do it, they're talking about getting away from recruiting from the independents and looking more at just kind of pro athletes and and that kind of stuff. That makes me uneasy. I mean, that reminds me of um, kind of mid-2000s uh, Johnny Ace recruiting um, WWE. But I also, I get where they're coming from because the reality is that they they do have certain things that they look for. And as awesome as Adam Cole is, there's a reason why um, he he never made it to the the main roster uh, because, and again, we could debate whether they're, they're right or wrong, but there are certain boxes that they need checked to, they think to be, and maybe they're wrong because there are guys who have not checked those boxes who have become big stars in WWE, but they see an Adam Cole and they see a guy with a lot of shortcomings who could not be a top guy On Raw or SmackDown, but he's a top guy in NXT. It's all kind of a mess, you know. So I I get why they have to kind of fix it. Um, Lastly, uh, uh, number ten, we mentioned him a little bit um, earlier. Rich Swan. I think a a name that some folks would be surprised to. um, to, to find in the top 10 uh, first time in a long time that impact has made it onto uh, the top 10. I think folks at impact, some of the shot callers over there might be surprised to, to see a uh, rich swan uh, here, but um, I think even they might be underestimating. I mean, he's another guy that since the list came together and since kind of his peak um, is just not in the same role that he, that he was maybe should be, you know, maybe this opens some eyes about what they have on their hands um, in a rich swan. Uh, But, you know, I think in um, a, a real kind of important and difficult time for impact, remember, it was just about a year ago, they went with Tessa Blanchard, that was kind of the big experiment, I think they were counting on, on her being um, the one that would make the headlines and get a lot of attention, a, a, a woman uh, in your world champ position that fell apart for various reasons. And then they kind of had to reevaluate. All right. Who is here? What could the new look of impact be? They had uh, Eddie Edwards as champion. He did a fine job. Um, and then uh, who, what's his name is escaping me. Eric
2: Young.
0: Eric, uh, Eric Young. Yes. Eric Young, uh, who also did a fine job. Um, and, and I think had some of that lineage to kind of old TNA, uh, and then at their big signature show, uh, bound for Glory, put the, the world title on Rich Swan, who I think a lot of, uh, American fans, um, you know, who, who knew him from WWE were surprised to see him in that spot. I mean, he was, he was a cruiserweight in, in WWE very much a, a mid or lower card, a player. So it was a risky move to go all in on him as your world champion. Uh, But uh, he had a really terrific run um, for several months, worked with a, a real range of opponents, guys, huge guys like Moose, uh, veterans like Ken Shamrock and Tommy Dreamer, and, um, you know, was able to put together great matches against all of them. And then, you know, uh, unfortunately losing the title to Kenny Omega. But but in that, I think it was kind of his career high point because he got to work with the very best in the world and showed that he could hang with them.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, and I think he was a good choice because it, and it didn't feel like, It felt like a a turning point for them, but a positive turning point. I mean, you have these two guys who've been around Impact for a while. And I mean, Swan's been there a few years now. Um, But, you know, Edwards and and Eric Young are the elder statesmen of Impact at this point. And then Swan was anointing somebody new. And it didn't feel like, hey, they put it on the WWE guy, because like you said, he was positioned a lot differently in WWE. He was not even on the main shows. So for him to transition over into that that heavyweight role and kind of had this meteoric rise coming off an injury and then supplemented it with great matches. Um, So I think he gets a lot of credit for, you know, Impact may not be getting as uh, high ratings as AEW, for instance, but it's, I think, the most respected the product has been in a few years. So that's something. And he gets a lot of the credit. Yeah.
0: Brian, what do you think of uh, of... What do you think of the job that, that Rich Swan uh, has done and, and generally uh, impacts presentation over the last year or so?
1: Yeah, well, especially if you're looking at the evaluation period, too. I, I mean, I, I think it, it makes perfect sense to have him in there. Um, I mean, obviously, sure, he lost the title to Kenny Omega and and that kind of overshadowed everything you know, Kenny Omega unifying all the titles and now you've got Christian Cage and it feels like, uh, you know, it was a while ago, but yeah, if you look at that evaluation period, if you look at how important he was to the restructuring of impact and the re kind of configuring of impact, it's sort of a no brainer. And also another example too, of a guy who has flourished by leaving WWE, not going to AEW, but going somewhere else, who has really come into his own, and 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 it's not, you know, and I hate the argument people always make. Oh, well, this is why those companies are Bush League, because the guy couldn't make it in WWE or whatever. Again, those people don't know what they're talking about. It's actually the exact opposite, especially when you see somebody like a rich swan, you know he's talented, the talent is there, it's not being utilized. Period. That's it. Rich Swan would have been just as capable of pulling off a run like this in WWE if they had given him a chance. he He's a guy like that. And he went somewhere where they were willing to give him a shot, and he did it. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's an its an easy pick to have him be where he is.
0: Yeah. So that's top 10. Um, we won't go through through all 500. but Oh, but, um, uh, we're not? Uh, uh, let,
1: let's oh, do... Wait a minute. I hope you probably that. We're doing it in parts, right? Next week we do 11 through 20. Let's <laughs> yes. keep going, you know. That would be for the Patreon. Um, we had like a Patreon. And- How long would that? No, oh, 50 weeks. We can make a year out of it. There you go. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> uh, it's too much.
0: <laughs> uh, let's talk about some, some other, I guess, highlights. Uh, first of all, um, who's number 500 this year, Kevin?
2: Number 500 is a joshi wrestler by the name of Lulu Pencil. Um, Lulu Pencil has a lot in common with the three of us in that she was a journalist before she started training to wrestle in Japan. She's been a prominent part of the uh, Got to Move promotion, which is Emi Sakura's baby over there. Um, their Pro show, which is even when the pandemic was really limiting everything, they put on these fun, kind of silly wrestling shows. Um, she has not had a good win-loss record, but she has this kind of cult following internationally. Um, so much so that Emi Sakura brought her over with her to the States and she accompanied her to the ring at All Out for the Battle Royal. Um, so this is a situation where somebody didn't have a ton of championships, wins and losses, but the fandom was there. Um, there's also a situation where she had this really competitive match with Chris Brooks. Who's a a really high level wrestler first in England and then Japan. So, you know, there's a lot of promise there, but Lulu pencil number 500.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any uh, inevitably we're, we're going to be asked about omissions and and Mm -hmm. things like that, you know, um, Maybe we missed somebody, but but we should also point out that there are some people who you might be looking for on this list who are not on this list, and they're not on the list for the reason. The one that jumps out to me is the guy who held the Ring of Honor world title for most of the evaluation period, Roosh. In the end, he just wasn't active enough, right?
2: 100%. Yeah, I think he had four or five matches. Um, I don't even think five. I think it was three or four. Um, you can qualify when you compete less often, like a Nick Aldis. So he didn't. he didn't wrestle... 10 matches, but he wrestled at least six matches over six different months. So if you're like coming out and defending your title infrequently or making prominent appearances, you can still qualify that way. Roosh did not really bizarre case. I mean, certainly the pandemic played a a role in that Um, travel issues and such, but yeah, Roosh ring of honor world champion for most of the period, not on the list at all. Goldberg, um, one match in the evaluation period so if anyone's looking for him
0: right so for him, um edge them, won't be there either um, edge
2: not there um sting sting despite being on aew week after week for the better part of eight months i mean he's he's on tv most of the time only had about two or three matches during the evaluation period so those are some guys that yeah you might expect to be on there but they're not
0: yeah and I, and on I know flip side some some Go ahead. Yeah. Some, some names that, that haven't been on for a while that are back, right. KG Muto back on the list for the first so, time in a long time.
2: Yeah. So KG Muto was actually on, I think the first 27 or 28 editions of the list, something like that. Uh, it was him and Lager were both on the list together for, you know, every year for, since its inception, actually Muto might've stopped around 25 years. Um, But the reason he's on the list, and I mean, he's ranked pretty prominently is because he really put pro wrestling Noah back on the map internationally in a way it had not been by winning the triple crown championship there. I mean, sorry, that is embarrassing. The GHC um, championship making him the Japanese triple crown champion because he had held that previously held the IWGP title and the all Japan triple crown championship. Um, Wow. Pro wrestling people are going to justifiably get on me for that. (laughs) (laughs) but. Um, but yeah, yeah more, you,
0: you, more, you, more mentioned, more. you mentioned you mentioned a number five hundred uh, uh, being a woman. There's there's quite a bit of women throughout the list, right? Can can you you know w- w- this debate continues about uh, what are the place of women in the in the PWI five hundred? Um, are are we any closer to uh, consolidating the the two lists, the women's one hundred, which we're working on now? Uh, so it's not happening this year. Um, or do you think we're, where we ended up now is probably where we're going to stay?
2: I think we're staying where we are uh, for the foreseeable future because we're looking at the women who are on this list. It's because they w- competed notably in intergender matches or like Lulu Pencil as an example. Gatsumo is not a Joshi promotion, um, strictly. There's a lot of intergender tag matches and things there. Um, those opportunities are not mainstream by a long shot. You know, AEW doesn't do it. Um, looks like Brian has to, has to hop off.
1: Well, I have to yeah. take my. We'll, we'll wrap up here. So. Okay, we'll wrap up. <laughs> we're the trying title. to keep cave-fabe, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. There you go. Okay, <laughs> um Well, okay. uh,
2: yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but the, the short answer is those opportunities exist. Certainly, there are some really high level women wrestlers who, if we were just going on like, what their competition was, what their influence was, what their championships were, they would do really well, but there's still this gulf, you know, and even in WWE, you have five or six top women wrestlers, and then people who are hardly on TV or who lose every single week. Um, in AEW, Hikaru Shida champion almost the entire evaluation period if we were going by the 500 rules. Um, but she's someone who was hardly on TV, you know, so like, you have to take things like that into consideration, and I honestly think if we combine the list, you're going to see women who are top ten on the women's <laughs> one one hundred. And we did, we can say it now. It's going to be the women's one fifty this year. Um, oh, you know they would, mean. yeah, yeah. It's big news. Bell the bells broke that uh, yesterday, but yeah, I think they would suffer. I think you'd see if we're being fair about it in terms of influence and visibility and, and accolades. Um, it's not quite equitable yet because the business isn't quite equitable yet. So yeah. I don't see it happening anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Well, let's wrap up here. Thank you so much, guys. Again, we could talk all day about it, but um, if you really want to dig in, uh, the thing to do is just get the issue. Go to uh, pwi-online.com. You can download it right away uh, or have it sent to uh, your home, the print edition, or do both. Why not? Um, uh, Again, either way, go to pwi-online.com. Guys, uh, uh, thank you so much. Another uh, PwI 500 uh, in the books. Um, Everybody did a, a terrific job. Uh, it's always tiring, but very rewarding. Uh, Kevin, why don't you throw to our interview with this year's number one ranked wrestler? Yeah.
2: And here's my conversation with Kenny Omega. This is Kevin McElveney, editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine. And I am here with the number one ranked wrestler in the world for a second time in the PWI 500, Kenny Omega. Kenny, congratulations.
3: Thank you so much. It's an incredible honor to, to win it again. Never thought I'd do it,
2: and in 2018 you won it for a first time. Uh, you know you're in a, a different place in your career now. That that number one ranking was based largely on what you were doing over in New Japan. Uh, uh-huh. Your series of matches with Kasugano Okada, ju- the run up top with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, just a lot of accomplishments over there. And now here you are in your executive role, but also your role as world champion. I mean, you're the top champion in three different companies now with AEW, Impact, and AAA as we record this. So compare the feeling. I I know you had said in an interview we had with you earlier this year, you told our senior writer Mm -hmm. Al Castle what an honor it was being ranked number one the first time. Compare that feeling with the one that you have now, finding out it's a second number one for you.
3: Wow, it's it's night and day and or apples and oranges. It's to find out that I was ranked number one the the first time, it really caught me off guard because and you know, forgive me for sounding, um, you know perhaps a, a little a little out of hand, but um, I, I didn't think that someone from New Japan, especially a foreigner from New Japan at that time, and someone like me um, could ever reach number one status um i'd I'd always thought that you know the the bigger the the biggest stars on the planet were were the guys from wwe and they were the ones that would be recognized of course in a magazine that was primarily um read by north american viewers so um to to hear and to see that not only was my work in japan being recognized but being recognized on such a large scale it was really an incredible feeling and of course i felt it in on social media and i had felt it um in the the few, very few times that i was able to perform in the united states or in the uk or in canada where fans would come up to me and they would tell me that they've seen my new japan performances um but then to see that it had reached a point where people would say and and feel comfortable saying that i was pwi rank number 1 Wow. Um, it it left me feeling very shocked and very humbled. And I'm to this day just incredibly appreciative uh, to have accomplished so much with that company and with such an incredible cast of, of talent and, and crews. You know, it, as much as I really tried to step up my game while I was there and be the best player that I could be for that company, uh, I certainly had every every tool that i could possibly have to work with to make that happen um and and in that year which i i still feel is probably one of my strongest in ring years of my career it probably was the strongest in ring year of my career um i was able to stay healthy which is it's the the hardest part actually right um is staying healthy for that full year but also push your limit and push past your limit Um, Because really everyone, there are so many wrestlers all around the world performing at such a high level that um, as soon as you ease up, someone's already waiting to surpass you. Um, And for me to have the luck to have such a succession of high stakes matches in that company with all the greatest performers that that company has to offer not only um, domestically in, in New Japan, but you know some of the best foreign athletes as well. I was extremely lucky, and as much as you know, you could say that I was number one that year. Um, I definitely feel like I share that honor with each and every one of my opponents that I wrestled with that year. Because if it weren't for you know, if it weren't for Okada, if it weren't for Ishi, if it weren't for Naito if it weren't for Bushi, if it weren't for Tanahashi, all those guys that I worked with that were able to bring the best out of me and maybe I was help, able to bring the best out of them too, then there was no way for me to appear to be number one. So um, now fast-forwarding the clock and uh, we're at current day, um, It's it's a whole new cast of characters and the name of the game has changed. The rules of the game have, have changed. Now it's American television wrestling. Um, and to me it's I wasn't able to play to my strengths at all this year, and so that's what made it the biggest challenge for me in my entire career
2: interesting
3: i I always wanted to of course try my best I'm always trying to learn i'm always trying to challenge myself and um becoming the best you know I'm very competitive in nature, mm-hmm. but i <laughs> i i also i i i don't like to say that i'm the best and i'm i'm able to accept if i'm not and i'd rather someone else be um but when people kind of bestow this name upon me or they have this expectation of me i never want to let people down so if i'm put in a position where i'm a champion or i'm in a main event or people need a certain kind of match out of me that maybe I'm not comfortable with or ha- I don't have much experience with. I'm still going to push myself to be the best I can be uh, because there are a lot of fans watching from, you know, in that arena or around the world that have paid good money or, you know, even more so than the money, they're giving up their valuable time expecting a main event level performance. And um, again, I just feel so lucky that. Um, Throughout this year, uh, I've had a number of fantastic opponents that come from all corners of the globe. And in some of these cases, there are people that um, I'm not even really that familiar with. And in a lot of these cases too, I'm working with restrictions of um, time, having to work with commercials, having to work with uh, hard TV times. working within the COVID era where we're wrestling in front of no fans. Uh, There are moments when, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much used to wrestling very sort of long and physical um, one-on-one matches. And some of these matches aren't going to be your, your, your sort of, you know, one versus one, conventional singles matches they're going to be perhaps you know a lights out match or it's going to be an exploding barbed wire death match or maybe i'm wrestling in mexico and it's going to be in a six-sided ring and uh under uh, featuring luchador rules or maybe i'm in a tag match for example um it's it's the whole landscape was so different this year for me and um it could have it could have blown up in my face real bad uh, and all I tried to do was, um, do the best that I could with what I had in front of me. And I've cr- again, much like how I was in new Japan, we had a great collection of talent here in AW a great collection of talent and impact that, that, that needs more recognition. And also, um, a lot of talent in AAA that some people don't know about, and I'm glad they kind of know a little bit about them because of, you know, Phoenix and, and Penta, but, um, again, there, there are wonderful professional wrestling talents all around the world. And I was able to mix it up with them and do what I can do best, but also challenge myself in ways that I haven't been challenged before. And again, I just, I, whether it be due to preparation or just, um, just being in the right mindset or creatively being on point, uh, things worked out. And so for me, as as difficult as it was to reach that number 1 spot in 2018 I played to my strengths completely in that year all of those matches those were in my wheelhouse that's what I do best I I do new japan style main event matches best that's that's easy for me you know physically demanding taxing yeah grueling yes but if I were to choose one style that I truly excel in it, it was that and in this year i really stepped outside of my box i really stepped outside of my own comfort zone and not only that but everyone else stepped up their game too um, it's 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 fantastic that i don't feel like no matter how i look at it i didn't i didn't run away with it you know i don't think i was number 1 by far I think the the best part about this year, especially is you could have went in multiple directions and and no one would be disappointed. I feel that up until his unfortunate injury, you know, number one could have been Will Ospreay. Sure. Um, ha- number one could have easily been Shingo Takagi. Number one could have easily been Roman Reigns. Everyone had such a strong year. Um, so I feel depending on who you are and what you like in professional wrestling, you know, maybe that's your number one. um, but you know i'm not going to lie for you guys it's like me as number 1 i'm happy with it i'm cool with it <laughs> uh but it was it was a tough one this year and um tough one great learning experience and uh it's something i'll never forget and uh i again thank you guys and thank you to the selection process and all the fans and and everyone that made it all possible and the people that i've worked with because it it's all it really is a team sport in a way and uh it's uh, it it made really wrapped up this, a very difficult year for everyone, but in a positive way for me.
2: Now you mentioned some of these things that are maybe not in your wheelhouse, not playing to your strengths. And some of these things were circumstantial. I mean, you, you had really no say over there, not being fans, right? Uh, probably some other things that were new to you, such as, you know, the uh, v- more violent, lights out matches and maybe eager or a little bit hesitant to try those out. I mean, could have probably gone either way for you. Um, but regardless, I mean, what do you look at as the highlight of this year? Like if you had to pick one or two moments,
3: Mm, That's a very good question. Um, highlight for me. (sighs)
2: It's tricky. There's a lot.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a year full of highlights and when I try to think about what stood out to me the most, and again, it's, it really, it, it were those unique scenarios where you're presented with a challenge that were very unconventional for the modern day wrestling fan to see. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, the, the, the barbed wire Exploding Death Deathmatch is one of them. It was a huge challenge for me. It was a huge challenge coming out of that after the failed explosion as to how to deal with it. Um, It was a huge challenge for us to be presented with our first cinematic match with the Stadium Stampede match. Um, People have an expectation of maybe what that's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And how do you give them something so completely different than that? And unique, have them not be disappointed and have them be entertained. I always look at things from the eyes of someone who has never watched a wrestling match before. I want people who are watching wrestling, perhaps for the first time, or someone who is versed in another sport to watch what we do and to recognize that what we're doing is very athletically demanding. Mm-hmm. And then I, I want to, I want, in the same vein, someone who is a fan of, you know, television dramas or movies or comics or whatever to find the same type of entertainment value from what they normally watch or read and then watch professional wrestling and see what we do and then say, wow, I'm, I'm a fan of this. And to me, this is just as entertaining, or I'm going to add this to my lineup of, of entertainment that I watch on, on, on a weekly basis or monthly basis or whatever um i try to really always think bigger than than the box that we're contained in because i think as soon as you just i I think as soon as you present a match or present um a storyline or something that only appeals to a very small audience which are you know your your core wrestling fan um, you're losing out on the opportunity to grow your fan base. You're losing out on the opportunity to, I think, really strike an emotional chord with people. And for me, telling these deep emotional stories, or at least to elicit a, a, a different set of emotions than what you're norm- used to seeing in wrestling, um, that's important to me. Sometimes it's, it's it's all, not even, I'd say all the time, It's it's most important for me, rather than to want to make the the fan boo the bad guy, cheer for the good guy. I want much much more layers than that to what I what I present in the story. And if I have the ability to tell that within the weeks of the buildup, or if I only have that one match, I want to be able to sort of diversify the emotions that you feel throughout that match. And I as best as I can, you know I, I do want you to feel happy. I want you to feel sad. If it's possible, maybe I want you to feel like you, you want to cry. You know, maybe there are times I want you to laugh. Um, and the reason is chances are in, 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 in any show, any one show, you're going to see five matches, six matches in a pay-per-view. You might see 10, 11, 12 matches. If your goal as a wrestler is just to make someone cheer or boo you and that's it. Well, then you're just doing what everyone else is striving for. And I think that's what maybe differentiates, you know, a top flight athlete and a top flight professional wrestler, than just your average professional wrestler. Um, and that's not to say that you always have to to do that because everyone has a role on, on a professional wrestling card, but myself, who's being thrust in these main event scenes, I feel that the onus is on me to have more of a wide variety of emotions that you feel throughout the span of a long, um, you know, storied main event.
2: There is a balance that you have to strike though, because if you are trying to appeal to these more casual viewers who maybe haven't watched wrestling before, haven't watched it in a long time, you to a certain extent self-dependent with these broad strokes, because you have to, as this, this champion, who's the the top for lack of a better word, villain in the company, you do have to draw their ire out of them. Right. I mean, that's absolutely you have to to do that has to be part of it
3: absolutely so there there, there's a there certainly is a balance to it and like you said you know painting with broad strokes it's very important um i i like to always have the the purpose and the meaning of the match to be very clear and understood understandable by everybody uh it doesn't matter um who you are um whether you've been watching our product since day one or whether this is your first time viewing it or whether you're just a young child and your levels of comprehension are just are very basic and simple i want you to be able to understand what the purpose of this match is and who the bad guy is and who the good guy is however i always try to create these finite lines if you really look for them and you search for them that you can take an extra sense of appreciation to what is going into the match so what i love is is putting in you know easter eggs and layers of these stories callbacks to stories things that have years of of history within a match that i have in the current day so that fans really want to look for it the history is there you can you can recognize it you can see it and it brings me great joy when you know maybe i'll be looking at my timeline and i see that fans have recognized something that i've meticulously placed in a match um that that harkens back to those days and They've pieced it all together, and in some cases, they've made it mean more than what I even intended it to mean. <laughs> and I was like, "Why, why, kid? You? You're giving me too much credit now." But thank you. Um, I, I like it's. It's like you said, yeah. You don't ever want to alienate people or or make it too muddled for people. But I like I like having the option for people to search for more than what is there at face value. And I think that's what, that's part of what makes wrestling and the mythos and just following my journey a little more fun than 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 normal
2: so I I don't want to keep you too long I know you're busy
3: Um, that's fine I I I, I blab a lot don't worry (laughs) about it
2: well you actually I mean a couple of the questions I had for you that you you answered in the course of answering the other questions so it's so it's helpful great Um, but one thing I do want to know I mean you, you even alluded to this earlier maybe the physical peak of your wrestling ability or, or best year of your career was in, the, was in the past. You you mentioned mm-hmm. as much in the interview you had with Al before, um, yeah. you know, you're looking at this year, this unprecedented thing, holding these three top championships, which is yeah. what got you in this, this number one spot apart from the performances themselves. But I mean, that, that really sealed it in this competitive year. Um, where do you go from here?
3: Yeah, that's the question, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so had, had you asked me this question a year ago, I would never have been able to give you the answer Right. to, to bring you to where we are today. I never would have been able to tell you, well, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this thing where I'm just going to be a journeyman and, and travel and collect belts that, that just sort of fell into my lap. My goal was always to do whatever I could to unite wrestling and wrestling fans, especially, you know, I feel that there's, i i i feel that there's a lot of you know the wrestling community can sometimes be toxic and um i hate seeing it in sports i hate seeing it yeah. in in video games and music and movies where you have fans divided so passionately and you know people that they feel like they have to choose a side and they feel that once they choose that side that they have to to defend that side with all of their fiber with every fiber in their being. and um I'd, I'd felt that you know we aren't you know this isn't the NHL, this isn't the NBA, this isn't the NFL, you know we we aren't we aren't teams playing in the same league. It, we're we're all wrestlers and a lot of us are regardless of who we represent or who we're working for, a lot of us still feel like we're family. you know I have friends, not only in AEW but I have friends in New Japan I have friends in Impact I have friends in WWE I know it sounds crazy I have friends there <laughs> and guess what you know I want them to succeed I still keep in touch with them they I don't want you to wish ill or wish harm or wish death upon them you know as my fans and I don't think that the opposite is true either so in for me, and it's 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 like saying a broad statement like, you know, I wish for world peace. And it's like, how do you even attain that? That's impossible, that's naive. Right. Um, but regardless, as as unrealistic as it is, I'm still taking steps because I don't think it's wasted effort. And I think as long as fans little by little see that that there's a wrestling world that is a better place with all of our companies and our top talents working together then maybe slowly but surely and maybe i won't be around to see it maybe i'll be long gone retired or who knows maybe even dead i don't know but maybe you know there will be a world where even just for one show a year you know we get talents that work together on an incredible super show to show everyone the greatest talents of the world doing what we love to do and showing the the beauty and the the peak art form that is professional wrestling which includes all styles which is also why you know i did things like challenge lucha libre which is why challenging things like like you know death matches you know people don't expect that from me but i want to show that there is an art form behind it and that there is beauty in it and you can tell a story um and i I, and i'd love to see just a, a world where everyone is accepting to all of those and can find appreciation in all of those.
2: I, I love that as, I mean, as a lifelong fan, but also as the editor of a magazine that contrary to popular belief is not owned or affiliated or in the pocket of any, any promotion. We want to present this, this beautiful wide world of wrestling to people. And I mean, you compare it to art. I mean, something like, I don't know. I mean, I guess people would, if they were a Beatles or Rolling Stones fan would argue about it, like which band is better, but not with this right. same animosity. It just really does seem absolutely toxic. That was a good way of putting it.
3: Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's for me, it's asinine. If, if you are a Beatles fan, it's, I love the Beatles, but because I love the Beatles, I think Metallica is the worst band that ever existed. And right. I wish they never, and I wish they never, they're, they're an embarrassment to music. That that's definitely not the environment that us wrestlers want. You know what I mean? (laughs) it doesn't doesn't make any sense. It it makes no sense. It honestly makes no sense to me, and it, it baffles me to this day that it's just kind of an attitude that that persists. And I I do see it. You know, I see these glimpses of hope, and especially amongst our community, amongst you know the the males and females that are that are doing what we do to to try to entertain everyone. You know, we, we, a lot of us have this vision and a lot of us believe in it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think slowly but surely fans are hopping on board with it too. And of course, you know, they're, they're going to be people that will want to take to one side and, and, and defend it with all of their being. And they're going to want to hate everything else. And, uh, that's fine for now, but (laughs) I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything that I can to change your mind and that's that's really that's really my plan that's my plan from here on in and i I don't know where that's going to take me i don't know how that's going to change my trajectory from now until next year um and it might not necessarily feature me i don't i might not be the vessel to make that happen but i just want to do my part to try to make that happen in the best way possible
2: well, I mean, on that note, I, I do have to ask you one more question. This this ties into the the bridges and and forbidden doors, as it were. Yep. Going way back, before he was IWGP heavyweight champion, before he was IWGP world champion. Yep. Golden Lovers, Koto Ibushi, have we seen the last of the two of you being involved with one another, whether it's teaming or facing each other
3: or anything else? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, if I were a betting man. If I were a betting man, I, uh, I would say it's safe to say that when real life is involved, you know, when, when it's, when it's more than just, you know, the wrestling in the ring. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now as time goes by, as time goes by and promotions and fans are listening more to listening more and responding more to what they want to see in professional wrestling. You know, like the, the, I've, I don't feel that, like you said, we, we, we talk about the forbidden door or, or this concept that if you wrestle for one promotion, there's no way you could intermingle with another. Um, slowly but surely those, those, those borders are disintegrating. They're, they're evaporating. And you know, you've we've seen impact talent on AEW, we've seen New Japan talent in AEW. Um, we've seen our talent go elsewhere as well. Um, and who knows where the future lies and that there may be more special guests and surprises in the future. And um for me, again, I am I'm a storyteller and um you know more, more way more than i like professionally wrestling i enjoy telling stories you know physical stories in the ring mm-hmm. and for me this I, I i love stories that have an ending i love stories that have a beginning a middle and an end and i have a lot of stories that have yet to have a final chapter um that story is yet to close and i would love you know with with however long my my health allows me to um i would love for that 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 book to have its final chapter written and that goes not only for that but you know for you know quite a few other stories in my career as well i would love to be able to close the book and and just sort of at the end of it all look back and be proud that these stories that i pictured in my wacky little brain you know they they had a beginning a middle and an end and that i was able to close that book happily and for someone who as influential as ibushi was to my career um inside and outside of it um i i feel that it would it'd just be an injustice to for for it to die um so who knows
2: I think a lot of fans will be happy to hear that. I mean, they, it did resonate with a lot of people. I want want to thank you again for taking the time to talk to us today. Congratulations again. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our readers or people listening to this podcast?
3: No, I mean, I, I, I I pretty much said it all. I I just love that for the people that are listening to the podcast, people that have, um, you know, purchasing the, you know, the issue of the, of the magazine, you know, I just thank you so much for being a true wrestling fan and for supporting what we do. And, um, hey, if, if me being number one isn't, isn't your style, you know, I, I, I implore you to just keep supporting wrestling because I, I feel to myself in a lot of ways, I'm not the best, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I am in, in certain areas or whatever. Or maybe I wasn't to a certain amount of people, but, if the best is someone else to you, then they're your number one. That's great. But please keep supporting the people that are supporting professional wrestling. And I'm just glad that, you know, physical media like this and and these podcasts exist to help spread the word of global professional wrestling that has, again, no borders. The PWI is it covers it all. And that's sort of a world of wrestling that I want to exist in. So thank you for uh for allowing me this opportunity and thank you, fans, for um being a part of it.
2: Ah uh, thank you Kenny.